This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. A rule of life in, in a Christian framework is that you're seeking to live your life in res faithful response to God's voice, um, that you believe your life doesn't belong to you. You're not your own. You belong to your body is um, a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought and redeemed at a price. And so you're living the entirety of your life in faithful response to God's voice, the God to whom, who made you, who is your shepherd and your savior and your keeper and your sustainer. As we head into the Christmas season, life can feel like it is spinning out of control. Add in a global pandemic, political polarization, and this even sense of estrangement from ourselves as the world has felt like it's turned upside down in the last several years. So how do we actually approach the time that we have? While well, I chat with my good friend, Jen Pollock-Michelle, in the second of three episodes, as we consider God's good timekeeping for us and her forthcoming book, In Good Time. Listen in. I'm sure it will give you some nice handholds as we head towards the Christmas and New Year seasons. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. It is great to have Jen Pollock-Michelle back. She is the author of lots of books, and most recently, she is coming out with a new book called In Good Time, all about habits for our timekeeping, which is so appropriate in this season that we find ourselves in as we head through the end of the year and then begin kind of all of that resolution talk. So thank you, Jen, for your wisdom, for your good words. We're so excited to continue our conversation. Yeah. Thanks again, Ashley, for having me. You are welcome. So um, just a quick note for our listeners. There are some fantastic bonuses, and we're going to talk through some of those things. But I did want to just let you know that if you pre-order Jen's book before December 13th, she has this beautiful course that's going to help us actually create a pattern, a rule of life in the midst of all of the things that we've got going on. So I did want to make sure that you noticed that and there will be links in the show notes, of course, to that pre-order, which is definitely worth your time. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so as we think about this holiday season, you know, and, and we talked last week about time anxiety and how that can kind of lock us up and the importance of naming our season and taking some practical, clear-eyed looks at our schedule. I think that's, you know, one part of the conversation as we think about time. But then I'm also cognizant of the fact that after we get through Thanksgiving and we get through Christmas, then we have to have the sense that we are creating this New Year's resolution where we're going to be 
an entirely new person. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about um, how we can begin to think about time as not only, you know, through those holiday seasons, but also in the new year season in which there is, I think, a helpful way that we can step back from some of our routines um, and evaluate and reflect Um, But there's also another sort of time anxiety coming at the beginning of the year. Could you kind of walk us through that and then maybe give us a few handholds, some habits as you as you speak about in your book that could help us as we approach the new year? Yeah, the new year is, you know, you're going to start to see like all the ads, all the Instagram posts of like, I use this planner or I organize my life with this app or this is how I do my meal plan. I mean, it's like the the pitch is fevered for, you know, kind of hacking life so that all of a sudden all those um, ways that our schedule just feels crowded and um, anxiety producing, like we're going to figure it all out. And it usually is about like some sort of tip or trick or technique. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Like I actually am the kind of person who I've used the same planner probably for about six or seven years. And I get really excited when um, I tell people about it and they buy it and they are really happy to use it. I think that there is something valid to say, you know, having tools with which to kind of organize the details of life. Um, But if you actually start to look at some of the promises um, for apps and planners, these time management hacks, um, books even, um, not mine, of course, mine excluded. <laughs> um, but so often it's like, this is going to deliver on peace, like world peace, you know, peace in your soul. And I think that those promises are are a little bit too big because time anxiety is deeper than just the fact that you can't get your calendar organized and you forget things, you know, time anxiety is really about our mortality. Um, and it's interesting because I ran into an article. I'm trying to remember, I think it was an article in Wired. I quoted in, in good time where these people who pr- produce this productivity app, well, initially what, what they did for the app, it was just an app for people to record what they had gotten done. So it was kind of a celebratory tool, like just for people to like, like end the workday and say, you know, I did this, this and that wasn't that great, you know, and I think there's something beautiful about that. I mean, God did that when he made the world, you know, he named it good. He took account of it. He took a measure of it. But what these um, t- produce, like, what do you call them? The people who were developing the developers for this particular app, um, their users said, no, we don't want to just um, say what we have done. We need to plan for the tasks that we have ahead into our future. And so they developed those features. And what they saw was like people like barely got through like any of their to do's, you know, people just either just kept recording them, um, you know, that just they were super duper aspirational. And I think we're tempted towards that in the beginning of a new year. Um, like, and I think on the one hand, a beginning is really important. And that's actually my first habit in the book. And I think to say like, God's a beginner, you know, he, he and he begins new works in us all the time. And his new mercies are new every morning. So a, a new, the beginning of a calendar year is a great time to say, you know what, I am kind of tired of some of these ruts and patterns in my life, and I'm seeking God's grace in new ways. Um, I don't think a consumer product, though, is going to be the thing that delivers on that. 
You write um, in that chapter on beginning uh, about hope, and you say, hope as a habit of higher time has a certain orientation to the past. It's a habit of rehearsing what God has already done and what God has already promised. And then it's also oriented to the to the future. You write, it looks beyond this here and now world groaning as if in the pains of childbirth. It tells us this world's trouble, however long, however tenacious, however dark, isn't to be compared to the glory to come. For Christians, the arc of our story isn't beginning, middle, and end. In Christ, our story begins and begins again. So I I love those words. You know, help us take those words and make them practical as we consider the the new year beginning. How do we how do we rehearse that story, you know, in our own life and in our planners? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do is we just don't put hope in our power to begin. <laughs> we, you know, ultimately it it's wonderful to begin a new year sort of buoyed by um maybe hope in your own new efforts. Um, but we know kind of how long those last, right? Sometimes not even until the 1st of February, you know, all of your resolutions have kind of crashed and burned. So I think beginning, while it's really important to mark and to name, like this is a season where things could be new. Um, I'm not going to be able to make them new completely on my own energy or effort. And one of the things I like about St. Benedict's rule, you know, and I know we're going to talk about a rule of life, you know, this um, sixth century document that sort of orients the life within the monastery in the prologue. I think it's really like the second paragraph. It's like any, Hey, you're going to start this and you need to ask for God's grace. You know, if you're going to begin with this rule and commit to it. And actually at the end of the rule, he says, this rule is just a beginning. <laughs> it's just a beginning in the life of faith. Um, but you need to seek God's grace. And so I think it really is a both and, beginning the new year with some real, um, like some articulated intentions about what you would like to, what new works you would like to see God do in you and in your relationships and in your work and your vocational callings. Um, And no, seeking his help, seeking his wisdom, seeking his strength, and um, even seeking his your resolve to be shored up by his help and his strength as you move into some of those new beginnings. Mm, that's really helpful. I love, you know, it can't simply be one or the other. And just because there is so much pressure in the same way that we were speaking last time about the holiday season, right, is to create this sort of life on your own, right? And which are the the those lies from the garden that we that keep seeping in maybe in new and different ways, but that, you know, that you can be like God and therefore create something anew. And you really, we really can't, you know, so as we think about uh, a rule of life as maybe another kind of pattern or a way to begin to think about our lives more holistically and not simply like, okay, my, my resolution is I'm going to lose the 15 pounds that, you know, from COVID, or I'm going to, you know, actually do that sourdough bread baking project. Um, you know, as we begin to think about our lives in lots of different categories as a whole product, the rule of life can be a really helpful way to do that. So tell us, as you have been preparing for these workshops on a rule of life that will accompany those who have pre-ordered in good time, tell us, you know, why do we need a rule of life? What is it? 
I think Margaret Gunther in her book, At Home in the World, A Rule of Life for the Rest of Us, she says something I think that's incredibly perceptive. She says, we're all living a rule. Whether you know it or not, you're living a a rule of life. You're living according to certain commitments and values. You're patterning your life in in a particular way. You may be doing that more or less intentionally, more or less consciously, but, you know, your life is guided by a rule. Um, and I think that's really helpful. So it's not, you know, will I have a rule or not? But what kind of rule will I follow? And what will be the intention of my rule? You know, sometimes we just have a rule that, you know, I'm seeking my own comfort and convenience at all costs. Um, you know, and some people are seeking, you know, all kinds of things. Um, a rule of life in, in a Christian framework is that you're seeking to live your life in res- faithful response to God's voice. Um, that you believe your life doesn't belong to you. You're not your own. You belong to your body is um, a temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been bought and redeemed at a price. And so you're living the entirety of your life in faithful response to God's voice, to the God to whom who made you, who is your shepherd and your savior and your keeper and your sustainer. Um, but how do you do that? You know, it, and so a rule of life is about intentionally patterning your life in order to live your life in faithful response to God's voice. So it really has a particular, um, it has a particular impulse to sort of frame desire around habits and practices. So like, if you look at St. Benedict's rule, the thing that's great about it is that it's, it's not, um, it's not just all about your quote unquote spiritual life. It's not just here's how you pray and here's what, you know, scriptures you should read in particular seasons. There is that in the rule, but there's also like, here's how you forgive your other brother in the monastery. Here's how you humbly submit to the abbot, the leader of the monastery. Here's how you welcome a guest. Here's how you take care of the kitchen utensils. Should you be, um, you know, should it be your turn to prepare the meals for the brothers? You know, here's how you, work in the cellar. And so it's intensely practical. It's not just, you know, esoteric and quote unquote spiritual. And so why do we need a rule of life? Well, A, we live in an incredibly distracted world. Like we are the most distractible people on the, I think in the history of the world, I think we can confidently say that. And so while we may have good intentions, unless we articulate particular ways in which we want to follow through on those intentions, it's likely we're going to just be like that ship that's sort of tossed about, driven here and there by the winds of like whatever's on my phone at this particular moment. And so we also need a rule because I think to think of it in the way that St. Benedict thought about it, it really is communal in practice. And I think to do, to write it, um, to write a rule, to write it in community, whether or not, you know, it doesn't mean my rule has to be exactly like your rule because your life is going to be different than my life. We don't all live in the monastery together. Um, we don't all keep the same kinds of hours, but for me to be able to share my rule with you and, let you pray for me over the intentions that I've articulated and maybe help me see ways I've been, you know, unrealistic or, or maybe I've neglected certain things. I've written my rule and, you know, my neighbor doesn't show up in my rule and he really should (laughs) because he, he matters to God. So we need a rule because we're distractible. And I think it's, I think honestly, at the end of the day, it's, 
as I've been preparing for this workshop, I think it's less about the product of the rule. Like, whoo, now I have my rule of life and it is written. It's really more about the process, about really sort of attending to those questions. What do you want? The questions that Jesus was deeply preoccupied with. What do you want? Where are you? What are you seeking? Will you follow? Hmm. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Well, I wonder if we could just transition and you could help me a little bit. Would that work for a bit? Sure. Of, yeah, for, for our episode. And then, you know, if, if we don't have time, we'll, we'll, we'll do it for another one. But um, yeah, help us like think through what are some of those initial questions um, you know, as you're working on the workshop, as you're trying to make in good time immensely practical as well, what where do you start? You start with the get well, you start in two places, really. I mean, you do start with desire, but I think you also have to start with reality. I mean, both of those things are kind of at the same time. Um, you know, what do you want? You know, I think there is a way in which that question, ask us to do the deep heart work that's really hard, you know, because the truth is, is that sometimes we really don't want to live our lives in faithful response to God's voice. I have to be honest and say that when I started working on a rule of life years ago and started to kind of research about it and read about it, you know, what I really wanted is I just, I wanted actually like time balance, quote unquote. I wanted to sort of feel like my life was perfectly in balance, like that I had my family in proportion, you know, proportionately sort of aligned with my work, with my, you know, ministry to my neighbors, like, and I just, and I also wanted, I wanted that. I also wanted it to always to be decided for me. I never wanted to actually be put into the difficult position where I'd have to choose, where maybe I'd disappoint people. And so, I had to kind of deal with my own disordered desires, even in writing the rule of life. And so on the one hand, I think what I want when people are engaging in this workshop or Ashley, if you said, you know, I want to write a rule of life. The first thing I'd probably say to you is, well, tell me why, you know, tell me what your interest is in that. What would you be seeking in writing a rule of life? And what we really want to do is like, I think that's, 
that leads us into practices of confession and repentance and also renunciation. A rule is about renunciation and resistance. These movements of the Christian life where I don't just like move toward God, like I have to turn away from some other things. So I, I, I put those questions to you and those are deep questions. Like, I don't think I could probably just even say to you right now, well, what would be your interest in that? And you'd be like, I don't know. I pre-ordered your book and there was a sign up. <laughs> and I felt, I felt obligated because you're my friend. You know? um, no, I think I've, we've done, um, you know, in church planting and various, you know, spiritual formation roles that my husband and I have had in various churches, we have always begun kind of some of those rule of life work. Mm. Um, and, and he's followed through much more consistently than I have. So and we find ourselves out of sync often, you know, in these transitional moments where you feel like if only I could get back to some of those, you know, pegs on my rule of life, then I would be okay. But I mean, that's another challenge too, is um, we can't, like the, the rule of life needs to be consistently revisited. But, you know, as you, you know, ask that question about what do you desire, you know, like, I think probably one of my deepest desires is, you know, is to have a life full of meaning, right? And to and to give that to God and invite other people in. Um, but I do find is, you know, is when we even think about time and my habits of time, I get very excited about the new projects. I get very excited about new possibilities. Um, I have a horrible time doing things that feel boring or tedious. And so there's a sense in which, you know, how do you keep how do you keep a rule of life fresh um, or, uh, you know, how do you stick with those moments of tedium? Because that's often where meaning will come out on the other side as well. So I think you know, even as we think about uh, what would it look like or, you know, how do you begin to to fashion a rule of life? We have to also just notice even right where you're saying, like, what what are the things that are motivating and also what are the things that I, I know are my blind spots or weak spots? I think that you're, you're talking about just the givens of life, you know, which is just right as you're talking about desires, you have to identify the givens of your life, which is the givens of your own personality and temperament, the givens of your life's limitations and or possibilities or invitations. All of these are very different for every single person. So there really is a lot of, I think, examine um, in involved in writing a rule of life. And it's not just a, you know, if there were a template, like I think it would be out there, but it, there's not really. You you see a variety of people that, uh, approach it in so many different ways. I mean, I can think about Ruth Haley Barton. I was just reading, rereading her book, um, Sacred Rhythms, and she shares some of her rule and she shares about another man who shared his rule and, and they're very different. And Mike Cosper in Recapturing the Wonder talks a little bit about his rule. I mean, they're all, as soon as you start to look out there, you see how many pe people have conceived of this exercise very differently. And that's why I think the exercise is actually super valuable. Whatever product is produced, you know, you get to at the very end. And I think getting that at the very end to um, to some commitments um, is really important. And even just for the practice of faithfulness. So Benedict, Esther DeWall has written a lot of, about Benedict's rule. And she says, you know, if you really look at Benedict's um, favorite virtues, their steadfastness, 
their um, endurance, their perseverance. And there is a way in which a rule of life cultivates not just the moods of faith, like the, you know, oh, I feel really excited about this. I'm going to try it for like three days, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, no, you know, there are some things, there are things, I love new things too. I mean, my husband told me, he said, you've never met an idea you don't like. <laughs> Yes. Um, this is why we're and, really good friends, Ben. <laughs> I think I think so. Sustaining long haul obedience is a challenge for I think a lot of people, and I think it's especially a challenge in in the environment in which we live. You know, if you actually like dig into the research about how we conceive of time now, like now is growing shorter and shorter and shorter, and the the um, past like you know, 10 years feels far more distant to us now than, you know, a hundred years probably felt to generate to a couple generations ago. Like our whole sense of like the, like the scale of time, future and past and present is changing. And so I think long haul obedience is challenging for all of us now because we're all kind of enamored with the new and we get the new like at an increasing rate now. So I'm, I'm, yeah, the givens of our lives, you know, maybe saying things like I do struggle with um, long haul obedience. I think 90% of people would say that actually, probably 99% of people, you know, how do we respond to expectations? You know, um, I wrote about that in my most recent newsletter, because I think I realized I'm pretty good at external expectations, but not really good at internal expectations. And there's a way in which a rule of life, I mean, you can create, you write it and you can share it with other people and create those structures of accountability. But at the end of the day, you're, it's probably going to be you who knows whether or not you are being faithful to your rule. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you even just for helping us think through as we begin some of these things about what does it look like to name the givens of your season of your life? I do want to just encourage folks that you definitely want to pre-order Jen's book and sign up for that rule of life course. And there will be weekly conversations where she will be working these things through with you starting January 8th. So don't miss that. Make sure you grab a copy of In Good Time. You can read it leisurely over December so that then you're ready to go come January to think deeply and holistically about what a rule of life might look like for you. So thanks, Jen. And I'm excited because next week we will continue talking about this idea, especially as we finish out December and move towards the new year. Yeah. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you, friends, for listening. I want to encourage you to pre-order Jen's book, In Good Time. And with that pre-order, you'll be able to sign up for her super helpful course in January to help you work through a rule of life and think about how to structure and keep the time that God has given to you. All of those links are found in the show notes. I want to leave you with one small step as we consider our own small moments of time. And that is simply to name the givens in your life. What are those givens? Maybe even of this holiday season, whether it's caring for aging parents or caring for young children, whether it's some community work that you have to do, or even just naming what matters to you and to your family and to your community at this time. Name those givens. It will then narrow and give you some helpful guardrails guard and constraints 
so that you can begin to actually celebrate, enjoy, and rest in the time that you do have. Name the givens of your life. And don't forget, I am giving away five copies of Jen Michelle's book. And what you need to do is simply go over to iTunes, rate and review the Finding Holy podcast. And then just so I know who you are and can get you your book, head on over and email me at the at findingholypodcast at gmail.com. That's findingholypodcast at gmail.com to be entered to win a copy of Jen's book. Thank you, friends, for being here. It is always a pleasure. And I appreciate you listening, rating, reviewing, sharing episodes. It's ways for us to take back some of the busy in this season. Remember, big things matter, but so does your laundry.